0: Tonight, on Huckabee, former ambassador to the UN, Nikki Haley, Florida Congressman Mike Waltz, positively hilarious comedy with Tom Greeson, Christian pop band for King and Country. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Dobry. And now...
1: Welcome everybody, we have a fantastic show for you. I'm so glad you're here. We have a wonderful studio audience. They're all fired up and you'll find out why as this show goes on tonight. Now, federal law prohibits demonstrating at the homes of Supreme Court or other federal judges, especially if you're trying to influence a decision before the court. And that law is being blatantly violated almost every night as leftist lunatics march up and down the street where Justice Brett Kavanaugh and his family lives, including his children. Same for the street and house where Justice Amy Coney Barrett lives. And in her case, the protesters show up not only at her home where her young children live, but at the schools where her children attend, even the church where her family goes. It is an absolute violation of federal law pro-abortion terrorists, and that's what they are, terrorists. They publish the address and the photos of the homes of conservative justices. Now, that's not just bad manners. It's dangerous, and it's stark, raving crazy. It already has resulted in one young man traveling from California to the home of Justice Kavanaugh, loaded with a gun, a knife, zip ties, and pepper spray with the intent to kill Justice Kavanaugh. And the only reason that he didn't is because he must have realized that he had mental health problems and he called the police to tell them what he planned to do. Frankly, he's not nearly as mentally ill as are the goons who think it's okay to go to the homes of public officials and intimidate them and influence their decisions. Now, I would suggest that these people are the real insurrectionists trying to overturn the rule of law. In numerous American cities, pro-life pregnancy crisis centers are vandalized, even firebombed. bombed. And these are facilities that provide real medical care to pregnant women. They don't kill their unborn babies. And also they provide diapers, formula, clothes, and counseling to young women and to new mothers. But do you think that Nancy Pelosi and Liz Cheney are going to be holding so-called hearings to get to the bottom of these illegal protests? And these haven't been limited to a four-hour riot at a public facility, which truly was wrong, as I've said repeatedly on this program and in every venue I can. No, these terroristic actions are taking place for hours every night, and they have been for weeks. But Nancy and Liz, they don't care. President Biden has yet to say a word condemning these dangerous actions. And Attorney General Merrick Garland hasn't demanded the arrest of these people, or has he insisted that they move their protests to a public place and leave a peaceful residential neighborhood alone where not only the members of the court are being harassed, but so are the neighbors. So do you know what's worse than not enforcing the law? I mean, recently a George Soros funded prosecutor in San Francisco of all places, got recalled by even liberal citizens who were fed up with his failing to stop illegal activities and who just let violent criminals back out on the street. And he failed to prosecute people for criminal actions, including dangerous and violent acts. There was another George Soros backed prosecutor in Los Angeles. He's probably gonna be recalled for the exact same reason. But as I said, there is something worse than not enforcing the law. Hear me very carefully. Worse than not enforcing the law is only enforcing the law on your political enemies. Because not enforcing the law, it'll lead to anarchy and chaos, but only enforcing the law on the political opponents of those in power That's what leads to totalitarianism and dictatorship. Look, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I just want you to understand how serious it is to use the levers of government power to grind down the voices and the votes of the citizens who don't fall in lockstep with the people in power. Folks, it's not just an abuse of power. It's treason to a free country that is supposed to protect freedom of thought, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and freedom of association. And when I see those at the highest purchase of government vigorously prosecuted to the full extent of the law on one side of the political debate, but look away and look at the other way for those who are in power or close to those in power, I know then we're very close to the end of our great republic. Let's be real. If your son gets prosecuted for a drug crime, but Hunter Biden is photographed using illegal drugs and doesn't even get so much as a fine, you better know the system isn't working the same for your son as it is for the son of the president. And when it becomes tolerated and in fact becomes expected and normal, then my friend, it's only a matter of time before the curtain falls on freedom. And we will live under the tyranny of the self-appointed privileged. There are, of course, threats to our freedom from outside our borders as well. And after the break, we're gonna sit down with President Trump's ambassador to the United Nations, And someone who did an incredible job standing up for U.S. interest in that not so friendly place. Nikki Haley is next. You better not go away. We'll be right back.
0: and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at huckabee
1: on twitter and welcome back nikki haley served in the south carolina house of representatives for three terms before she became the first female governor in the state's history back in 2011 she went on to a job in the trump administration as the 29th U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, where she brought smart diplomacy and an American first agenda all over the world. We're very happy to have her with us tonight. Please welcome Ambassador Nikki Haley. Well, you are loved in this audience, and I'm not surprised. You you made a name for yourself at the U.N.
2: You know, but, well, yes, we'll talk about <laughs> that. But I have to tell you, and I've said this to you yeah. before, this is the coolest studio <laughs> of any of the studios. I mean...
1: Thank you. Thank you.
2: I love my friend's... You know, Glenn Beck and Dave Ramsey, they've got great studios, but yours is just awesome. It really is very cool. So. Well,
1: thank you. We, we tend to think it's the most fun place to do an I interview.
2: I think it is. I think it is.
1: I'm so delighted to have you back, and in thank part you. because there's so much going on that you can speak to because of your time at the U.N., you saw the world at a level that most of us never will, and we're seeing the crisis in Ukraine. A year ago, we saw a horrible situation with the withdrawal in Afghanistan. As you look at the world stage, what is it that America is doing that's really putting our own citizens at risk?
2: You know, what I found at the UN is when the when America leads, the world is safer. When we speak, the world follows. What we do, the world wants. Who we are, the world wants to be. Hmm. And when we don't do that, the world feels in disarray. And when you look at our foreign policy, You go back to Afghanistan and you think, here we are. We left Bagram Air Force Base in the middle of the night without telling our allies, who we stood shoulder to shoulder with for two decades, because we asked them to be there. Think about the message that showed our friends. Think about the message that told our enemies. Mm -hmm. Then remember when the Russians hacked our pipeline and the food processing plant? Yeah. They didn't do that to destabilize us. They did that to see how we would react. And what would we do? Nothing.
1: Nothing, yeah.
2: Then you look at the fact that Biden's falling all over himself to get into the Iran deal. And Iran doesn't even allow us in the room. And we allow the lead negotiator to be Russia? Think about that. All of those things are a green light to every dictator that's ever wanted to do anything. And that's why you look at the fact that Putin made his move because he knew never again would we be this week that we could just watch. And and now we're watching this war on Ukraine. And I'll tell you, this isn't just about Ukraine. This is a war on freedom. And it's a war we have to win.
1: But Ambassador, you know, we were told that if Joe Biden becomes president, the adults will be back in charge and we'll have folks with experience. We had four years of peace without starting a war under Donald Trump. The Iranians didn't want to make a move. Russia didn't invade anybody. I mean, it was a very different kind of world stage. Maybe they didn't like Trump, but they respected him and they were scared of him.
2: Well, and I can tell you at the United Nations, we spoke with a very firm voice. And, you know, the president and I played these roles that, you know, when North Korea was testing ballistic missiles and we were trying to get the largest Mm -hmm. sanctions in a generation, you know, I would always say, look, this is what needs to happen. And I can't promise you what the president's going to do. And so, you know, I, and I would call the president and I'd say, okay, And everybody
1: believed that, didn't they? Yeah. And I would call
2: the president and say, this is how I'm playing it. He's like, make me sound crazy. Make me sound crazy. Like he was always. And so we played off of each other, but it worked. And it was, the president was unpredictable. Yeah. He never showed his cards. And we had a strong tone and that mattered. And that's why you didn't see the chaos in the world. That's why you saw countries tiptoe around us because we didn't care if they liked us, Yeah. but we did want them to respect us. And we had that then. We don't have that now.
1: One of my proudest moments of you Mm -hmm. was when you stood at the United Nations and you vigorously and passionately defended our relationship with Israel Mm -hmm. at a time when many of the other Security Council members were ready to throw Israel right under the bus and basically surrendered to the Iranians and to the enemies of freedom in Israel. Uh, This past president, President Trump, achieved the Abraham Accords historic. And it was almost like the press never gave him the credit for how big a deal that was. Would you remind America, just how big a deal it was to get the Abraham Accords accomplished.
2: Absolutely remarkable, truly remarkable, because when I stepped foot in the United Nations, which is not for the faint at heart, by the way, (laughs) um, we always knew we'd have a fight. We just didn't know which country we were going to fight that day. But they all bashed Israel. They all bashed Israel. And we started calling them out on it. And, you know, I'll take you to the point where, we decide to move our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. A very courageous moment for the president. Yeah.
1: What are the implications for us sort of just looking the other way, as as China does whatever they want to, whether it's release a virus or uh, uh, cheat on the trade agreements that they've supposedly signed?
2: What's the problem? It's a massive national security threat. I mean, if you look at what China is doing, they have built up their military. They now have the largest naval fleet in the world. They have more advanced air systems. Um, air defense systems than we do. They continue to steal intellectual property. No one's holding them accountable. The human rights abuses are horrific, but because it's China, no other country wants to call them out on it. Mm. The thing that bothers me the most is President Xi started a commission a few years back that he personally chairs that says any company that does business with China has to cooperate with the Chinese military. Think about all of Mm. our financial data. Think about all of our healthcare data. Think about our kids' data and know that the Chinese military have that. President Xi has always said, whoever owns the data rules the world. Mm. And we're watching that happen. These are the things we have to be very careful of. And the Ukraine war taught us that when dictators say something, we need to believe them. When China said they were going to take Hong Kong, they did. When Russia said they were going to take Ukraine, we saw them do that. If China says they're going to take Taiwan... It's not if, it's when. If Russia says they want Poland and the Baltics next, we need to believe them. China is making its moves. They recently said that the Taiwan Strait was not international waters. They're starting to fly jets over Taiwan. I mean, they're really getting more aggressive and we need a strong America that's ready to move when that
1: happens. 100% couldn't agree more. Nikki Haley, thank you very much. Now, if you want to keep up with Ambassador Nikki Haley, We have all the connections that you're gonna need at huckabee.tv, so you can go there and link to the ambassador. Also, we have a link to pre-order her new book. It'll be coming out later this year, but you can go ahead and pre-order it, something you'll probably wanna do and read. It's called, If You Want Something Done, Leadership Lessons from Bold Women. Right now, Keith Bilbrey, who is not a bold woman at all, but he's still gonna lead us into the rest of the show. Take it away, Keith. Well, get ready to
0: laugh with the hilarious Tom Greeson up next on Huckabee.
1: Welcome back as we come back here into the theater with the wonderful music of Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Let's give them a big hand. They're the best, aren't they? Well, it is such a pleasure to have our next guest back on the show. He has been one of America's top stand-up comics for over 50 years. He's got a brand new memoir. I mean, he's got some stories to tell in this one. It's called Still Standing, It's filled with stories that only he knows about legends like Johnny Carson and the one and only Frank Sinatra. Be ready to be entertained by the legendary Tom Dreesen.
3: Thank you very much. It's so great to be back with you, Mike. I got to tell a story to the audience about you. It would embarrass him, but you should know this about This man. I met a guy from Arkansas who told me when Mike was governor that a Mercedes-Benz dealer came to Mike and said, Mike, could you get my son a job with the state for the summer? He's home from college. And Mike got the kid a job for the summer. And when the kid went back to college in September, the Mercedes-Benz dealer came to Mike and said, I want to do something for you for helping my family. I'd like to give you a Mercedes-Benz. And Mike said, no, I can't do that. It's so great lack of integrity. And the dealer said, Well, could I sell you a Mercedes Benz? (laughs) Mike said, How much? And he winked and he said, $10. Mike said, I'll take two. (laughs) Let me say Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there, all across the world. And for you young folks in the audience, you young guys, I want to give you some advice uh, and you, or that are watching at home or here in the audience, some advice that you should know if you're going to get married. There's certain things you should know. Uh, starting out, women who are heavier live longer than men who mention it. <laughs> and married women tend to be a little heavier than single women because when single women come home, they go to the fridge and then they look, to see what's in, they look to see what's in the fridge and then they go to bed. Married women come home, they look to see what's in bed and they go to the fridge. <laughs> and guys, remember this. When you're arguing with a woman, women always get the last word in every argument. Anything you bring up after, it's just the beginning of another argument. Okay? And, if, and if a woman, if, in, in an argument, if a woman ever says, what? That doesn't mean she didn't hear what you said. She's giving you a chance to change your mind. And, and, and ever you're arguing with a woman and she says, well, do what you want, do not do what you want. Stand still, don't move, don't, don't breathe, you know. Arguing with a woman is kind of like reading the, the software license agreement. You know, In the end, you just ignore everything and click, I agree. My ex-wife, God rest her soul, she's not dead, I just wish God would rest her soul. What the heck was her name again? <laughs> oh, yeah. Plaintiff. <laughs> My ex-wife had a, a part of the brain that was a database. It, it, was, it restored everything that I ever did wrong from the moment we met. <laughs> I, I'm not making this. This is a true story. I just got out of the service. We got married. And I was married about three weeks. And... She wanted to use a car that day. And I said, well, we only had one car. And I said, you have to pick me up from work, take me to work and pick me up. She said, okay. I'm standing outside the factory and waiting for her to pick me up. And a girl that I'd gone to high school with, named Pamela, came walking by and stopped to talk to me. I remember she had on a red sweater. And my wife pulled up with the car and I got in the car and she said, Who is that? I said, it's Pamela. We went to high school together. She never said another word. 27 years later, She came home from the shopping and she had on a red sweater. I said to her, that sweater looks a little big on you. She said, we'll look better on Pamela. We used to argue about so many things. I said to her one time, what would you do if I won the lottery? She said, I'd take half and leave you. I said, I won $12, here's six, stay in touch. If a doctor ever told me I had six months to live, I'd want my ex-wife to come back and be with me because it would be the longest six months. (laughs) of If you're going through a divorce, you have to have a sense of humor. I was in court. The judge said to me, I'm going to give your wife $3,000 a month. I said, that's fine, Your Honor. And from time to time, I'll try to give her a few bucks myself. Something, you, this is something that I just read before. I, I live in California now, and I just read UCLA. You, you ladies will be interested in this. UCLA just did a research about the type of face that a woman is interested in, in a man, and it depends on the time of the month. If she's ovulating, she's interested in a man who has a more boyish-looking type face. If she's not ovulating, she's interested in a man who has a more masculine-looking t- type face. If she's going through menopause, she's interested in a man who has a scissor stuck in his throat with his hair on fire. <laughs> Thank you very much, folks.
1: Thank you. You know, we just realized there is a reason that you were the guest host for David Letterman more than anyone else, and that you have been on every stage with every celebrity we've ever known, including opening for years for Frank Sinatra. What a great talent that you have just revealed to us again tonight. Thank thank you. you. That's very nice of you. I really appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you. you. Well, I'm excited about the book still standing because I have a feeling you're going to share some stories in here that we are never going to hear anywhere else. That's for sure. It
3: says in the book, it says uh, the subtitle is My Journey from Streets and Saloons to the Stage and Sinatra. So it takes the journey that uh, when I started out in show business, Tim Reed and I were America's first black and white comedy team. History shows were the last... From 1969 to 1975, we toured the nation when there were no comedy clubs mm. and all black clubs in the north and south and all white clubs. And it was, it was historic what we, what we pulled off. We'd go anywhere there was racial tension. It, we, we did 11 prisons in one year. We did wow. the county jail in Chicago three times. Anywhere there was high schools, colleges. We didn't preach. We just went and see. And today, they say, you know, we, we need better relations among the races. Yeah. They say that today. In 1969, they were saying the same thing. And Tim Reed and I were having a relation. We were going on stage every night having fun together.
1: And Tom, don't you think the entertainment industry probably did more than all of the political world together in bringing people together racially? Elvis, I've often said, was far more effective of bringing black and white kids together to listen to the same music. And that was true in comedy. It was true in acting certainly true in the music world frank sinatra and sammy davis
3: jr you know, great I, great example I, I toured with sammy for three years i toured with Smokey robinson that sammy would tell stories all the time about how frank brought him into the into the limelight yeah sammy davis jr was the jackie robinson of show business he broke down barriers by the way before i go any further gary Sinise wanted me to tell you hello oh uh, thank I'm, you i'm an ambassador to the gary sinise foundation
1: well there's so many great people That you have rubbed shoulders with. Before we go, I've got to ask about, I I love Frank Sinatra. I love his music. I actually listen to the Frank Sinatra channel on Sirius XM. I know that will shock some people. But to me, there's never been another like him. Give us some insight, because you worked with him for all those years and got to be close to him. What kind of person was he just in the one-on-one relationship? You know, I'm, I'm from Harvey, Illinois, and Frank was from
3: Hoboken. When we rode around in a car till dawn, which is, a lot of that is in the book, he never went to bed till the sun came up. He was nocturnal. Mm. So whether we were on the road or off the road, you know, uh, we would hang out. And when I stayed at his home, we'd ride around the desert till dawn. In that car, he wasn't um, a, a Frank Sinatra the star. He was a kid from Hoboken, and I was a kid from Harvey, Illinois. And that's how we taught. He was the most generous human being I ever met. He did more for charity than, than mm. anybody that I've ever met. And, and privately and quietly. You know, as for singing... Mm. People forget what a brilliant actor he was. He, had, yeah. he did 61 films. He won the Academy Award. When you gave Frank a song to him, it was a script. What did the writer feel the night the writer took pen in hand? He would immerse himself in the lyric and become that lonely guy in the bar whose woman left him, and he's never going to find love again. Mm-hmm. And you felt that. And you felt the joy of his songs, too. You know, Charlton Heston once said, to watch Frank Sinatra sing a song is like watching a four-minute
1: movie. You know? Wow, what yeah. a great description of that. No wonder he was an incredible talent. But then so are you, Tom Dreesen. is a reason you've been in the business for 50 years and we are privileged to see you tonight. You can get that on Amazon by the way. Well, I hope people will. Tom Dreesen's must-read book called Still Standing available right now as he mentioned it's on Amazon bookstores and it is filled with some of the fascinating stories including some close-up and personal tales about people like we've talked about, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., and many more. Connect with Tom online by going to Huckabee.tv. We have the connections on the website. That way you'll know where he's going to be appearing and go see him. Right now, Keith is going to tell us what we still have coming up on this show right here.
0: Well, up next, Representative Mike Waltz and later quadruple Grammy winners for King and Country perform on Huckabee. Shop.huckabee.tv and get your very own made in the USA Huckabee mugs, t shirts,
1: and more. And welcome back. Congressman Mike Waltz has represented Florida's beautiful 6th District since 2019. He was elected to Congress as the first U.S. Army Green Beret. I think he kind of knows what he's talking about. When he talks foreign policy in the military. And he's mentioned that Russia's aggression in Ukraine and the Chinese Communist Party's continued military buildup, as well as recent missile launches by North Korea, just some of the dangers that we face on the global threat landscape. Please welcome one of the bright lights in the current Congress, very articulate Congressman. We're so happy to have him, Michael Waltz. Good to have you. Thank you,
4: Governor. Thank you. Thank you again. Yeah, thanks.
1: When I was chatting with uh, Nikki Haley earlier, we were talking about uh, the, the disastrous departure out of Afghanistan. Yeah. That's up close and personal to you. You served in combat repeatedly. Yep. Uh, you know what it's like, and you, you weren't just a soldier, but you were a Green Beret, and that's the, the top of the top. So yeah. what does that feel like as a military person to see us just pull out in the middle of the night? Well, you know, it's just governors fundamentally un-American,
4: to leave fellow Americans behind, to abandon our allies like we did, and just retreat, completely cut and run in the face of terror. And I think you have absolutely seen a direct correlation from that to now the Taliban have their own caliphate, just like ISIS had its caliphate under Obama. Uh, Now they have a super state, uh, ISIS and al-Qaeda, fully intend to attack us again and are preparing to do so. Uh, now you see Putin, Z, Iran, and others all in the march, and that's what happens when America retreats uh, in the face of in the face of
1: terrorism. Congressman, there was a time in this country when we might change presidents from Democrat to Republican, but the foreign policy was yeah. not that radically different. There was a stability. There may have been some nuances, but we had a Sam Nunn from Georgia. We had a right. Scoop Jackson right. from Washington State. We had strong. Uh, military believing Democrats who were leaders yeah. and they would never have set by. Ex- explain to us who are having a hard time, what is the intention of this administration in things like Afghanistan, yeah. the Russia invasion of Ukraine, China's uh, beating its chest and planning to go to Taiwan? Yeah,
4: well, I think you're seeing two fundamental forces at play. One, the progressives think that we are fundamentally a bad country. Mm. That at our core, we are racist, misogynist, colonialist, and it needs to be torn down and rebuilt in their image. And then number two, abroad, that America is more a part of the problem than it is the solution. And if you combine those two, uh, they believe then that we can and, – and Obama said it in his second inaugural speech where he said we extend a hand to our adversaries, not a fist – uh, and that if we're just nice enough and kind enough and we make enough concessions, people like Putin or Xi of China or the Ayatollah will be nice back. Uh, and I could tell you what, having served across Africa, fought across the Middle East, uh, <laughs> our adversaries understand strength. They understand terrorists, understand a bomb on a forehead uh, and not to be too harsh about it. But that's what it takes to keep America safe. And we have to do that over there. The last thing. I want to see happen is another San Bernardino, another mm. Pulse nightclub, or God forbid, another 9-11. We have to fight forward and keep a foot on their neck, not wait until they're in our backyard.
1: I really <laughs> appreciate that perspective.
4: You would think... And Governor, sure. and Governor, yeah. I'll just say one more thing. Go right ahead. Underscoring all of that. Yeah. They have to... We can have the greatest, most capable drones, planes, ships, well-trained military in the world... But if these dictators and these terrorists don't believe we have a commander-in-chief that is willing to use it, then it's all for naught. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that's what, that's, and that leadership is absolutely what we're missing right now.
1: Well, that's frightening to me. And I know that you have, you've led people into combat yeah. and you were responsible for their lives. How frightening is it from a soldier's perspective to think that our country would send people into battle but not come and get them when they got in trouble. Not come and get them when they
4: got in trouble and tie their hands when you send them into battle. There were such restrictive rules of engagement. You could do this, but you couldn't do that. Or if you did this, you'd be prosecuted. Uh, To send uh, our soldiers overseas and then not let them do their job, not let them kick the snot out of the bad guys. Mm. They don't ever want to kill civilians. They don't want to make mistakes. They're doing the best they can. But it's both. Uh, You... You know, one of the things that we absolutely live by is never leave a fallen comrade,
1: Yeah. ever,
4: yeah. ever. Uh, and that's why you saw so many veterans, myself and others, just uh, apoplectic. And what has me so upset is, one, the lack of accountability for those 13 gold star families mm. that shouldn't be missing their loved ones uh, right now. And uh, look, Governor, when we flip the house, This November, when we fire Nancy Pelosi, (laughs) send her back home to her ice cream and refrigerators, (laughs) I'm going to push hard for a Benghazi-style select committee on Afghanistan to get to the bottom of what happened. What decisions did Joe Biden make? What was he advised by the United States military? What did he ignore and why do we have uh, this absolute debacle and moral stain on our consciousness? And I
1: think the American taxpayers deserve to know what happened Heck to yeah, $70 do. billion dollars worth of their equipment that they paid for. And we left That's it with right. the Taliban, for heaven. That, says. by the way, it, look,
4: Al- al-Qaeda and ISIS are going to try to hit us again from Afghanistan. That means future Green Berets, future Navy yeah. SEALs are going to have to go back over there to deal with it, fighting through our own darn equipment. Uh, it is uh, it is absolutely unacceptable. And by the way, our local allies uh, are being hunted down as we speak. Those who stood with us for yeah. that flag and uh, what it stands for, for a better future. I just got a note this morning. Uh, one of my interpreters that, that I got out, he's now an American citizen, starting his own business. But the Taliban, these terrorists, when they can't get you, they go after your family. And they just took one of his brothers, tied him up behind a, a, a truck and drug him to death. Oh and I don't mean goodness. to be graphic. But people need to hear they need what's to know. going on, and they need to know what's happening. I also want to say, though, to every veteran out there, uh, many of whom are struggling, we've had an 82% increase in calls to suicide hotline mm. with the VA since last August. Mm. Uh, your service was not in vain. You kept an entire generation of Americans safe from another 9-11. Uh, and, and one of the reasons I'm in Congress And fighting through the nonsense that you know can be politics is for them and for their families. And we'll keep fighting that fight. There's
1: not enough members of Congress who have had your background and track record. I I cannot even begin to express to you how important I think it is that you are there. And I hope the people of Florida will keep sending you to Congress until you decide to do something even more (laughs) significant. And the reason I say that is because... When people talk about what our country is doing and what kind of military we have, when you speak, you do it with an authority Thank you. that very few people, maybe no one else in Congress can do. And I hope you continue Well, the good news, it. Governor, is we have, 2022 is gonna be
4: the year of the GOP veteran. Uh, they are coming out of the woodworks. Good. And our majority makers are gonna have a little dirt and grit under their fingernails. I have this for you. You know what these are. This is one Challenge of my coins. coins. Uh, it's to- for servant leadership. Honorable to walk uh, as as someone, as as Jesus did, as mm. humble but strong. But I'm Episcopalian, so it's also an auto-opener. <laughs> you can <laughs> put it on the bar. Thank you, <laughs> right, my friend.
1: Thank you, sir. What an honor. God bless. Great having you here. Thank you. Thank now, you. for our great audience, I want you to know that all the links that you're going to need to keep up with the congressman are going to be live right now at Huckabee.tv. So go there, find out how to... Uh, get on his mailing list, how to contribute to his campaign, how to be a part of understanding what he has done to serve this great country. Keith Bilbrey is our great live announcer and his job is just simple. Tell us what's coming up next.
0: Well, don't go away. You're about to meet the unsung hero but high multi-award winning music group for King and Country. Later, the group performs right here on Huckabee. be next week for Mike's guest, what is a woman filmmaker, Matt Walsh, and Christian music hit maker, Rebecca St.
1: James. Well, you know Joel and Luke Smallbone as the brothers from the superstar Christian pop duo for King and Country. But you may not know about the years of struggle and faith that were behind their rise to fame. It's all in a very inspiring new book called Beyond the Lights, and it's written by the woman who, well, without a doubt, knows them best, the one they call their unsung hero. Would you please welcome their mom, Helen Smallbone? Helen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I loved the book. And I even told Joel and Luke before the show, I said, what I loved about the book was the honesty of it. Thank you, you didn't try to say, well, we were a family of faith and everything worked out just gorgeously for us because it it didn't it's
5: not a real story when that really happens anyway because every (laughs) life is made up of ups and downs
1: and you had some tough times leaving australia Mm -hmm. the business that you had fell apart Mm -hmm. and you basically were starting all over moving your family of eight kids to the u.s
5: Mm -hmm. must have been scary very scary Um, I think God closed a number of doors that made us have no out. We had to just move forward. We basically had to move forward in trust. And people usually don't make a big life change without a little nest egg, a little something to rely on. And we had nothing. Um, So we really had to rely on God. And I think that impacted not only my husband, David's and my life in a very deep way, but the kids actually were a part of that experience. And they saw God move. They saw God bring miracles into our life.
1: There were some tough times. People see for king and country now, your daughter, Rebecca, St. James, they say, what a successful family. They don't know the hardships. Were you ever worried that your children might grow up with bitterness and anger toward God rather than, as they've turned out, amazing servants of his?
5: No, probably because I, I always think that we've got to look at life with the glass half full. We've always got to see, look at things from a positive perspective. If we look at things from a negative perspective or have a pity party, then bitterness and hardness well into our hearts and that's where those, you know, you end up being mad at God, why did you do this, why have you done this? But if you can keep a positive spirit, if you can keep looking for God's hand, which we saw because he provided for us, then you, you, you have hope. So you take that next step forward. What
1: a beautiful testimony. Now, you know, we have some guys who are going to do a little music for us tonight. This band, they're called for king and country. Uh, They're pretty good. Um, We're going to ask, I think we'll just get Joel and Luke to come out here and say hello to us while we're talking. So, Joel and Luke, are you in the building? If you are, right now is the time to come. You know, Joel, I've known you probably better than Luke. I was so thrilled how nice your mother treated you in the book, because I, I just thought she was very generous <laughs> and charitable. Hey, have, you give,
6: have you given anyone a backstory to
1: our <laughs> story, by the way? No, we'll save that for another time. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> But someday we will do that because these guys are two of the hardest working, most innovative, creative people, not just in the Christian music space, but in the music world today. And I love them, and I love what God is doing. Them. Mm. I really do. Thank you, Governor. Thank you. Guys, you wrote a song. You're going to do it a little later for us. Right. And it's called Unsung Hero. Who's that song about? Well, before we get to that, just very quickly, a, a couple of sentences.
6: <laughs> so our backstory, story, Governor and I, um, when we were fledgling artists, um, in our 20s, I needed extra work, so my brother Josh, our brother Josh worked at a speaker's bureau, and uh, Governor Huckabee was one of the uh, clients, and so we'd go out on these book tours. So I was the assistant that would pick up all of the <laughs> catering and uh, give these pictures of us, I mean, handing the books uh, during the signings and so on. And he was so kind. I remember because we, we were just working on, you know, music very early. Uh, each day when we were signing books on the bus, he would put the headphones on. And um, he, I would play him demos, and he would give me honest feedback. And that, you you were, before anyone cared, speaking of Unsung Heroes, before anyone cared, you were a bit of a hero. The so bass was never you. loud enough. For, for yeah, he did make some comments it. about Fair the bass but.
1: guitar. It's like, you know, it's not more cowbell, it's more bass.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
8: <Sorry>. <laughs> unsung Hero, ironically enough, so we, it was the beginning of the pandemic, and uh, we realized that we weren't going anywhere, we weren't going to be allowed to do many shows, so we thought we should write an album. Yeah. And so uh, it was the first kind of writing session that we had done uh, during that time. And uh, we would written a couple of songs that were okay. And so I would come into the studio and said, hey, we should write a, uh, write a song for Dad. And, uh, and Joel To which goes, I replied, no, I don't think so. <laughs> sorry,
6: sorry, Dad. He's but in the audience. He's not smiling. No, he's not smiling. <laughs> we don't would, look, uh, don't look. He's a serious
8: bloke. We, I said, we, I would love to write a song about Mum, uh, though. yeah. And so we basically ended up writing a song, well, for mom, but for, for about parents, for for, for yeah. people that do the invisible things mm. that matter mm. in our lives. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing that parents do. Uh, it's a thankless task, right? But if they're if they're doing if they're teaching kids the, the, the things that matter, they're actually the things that you can't see. They're, they're not the things that mm. you know show up at school and they say, "Oh, this person's been well parented." It's it's in. Character. It's fear of God. It's fear, those types of things. And so, anyway, we basically uh, wrote a song about parents. But uh, but the this, the majority of that song is is the inspiration of our our mother, who did those things. You know, I said some, something to uh, someone the other day. I said, you know, my mom, um, for the big moments where things could have gone awry, I don't remember her ever missing that conversation yeah. with me. It was always a rich conversation where I w- went away feeling. Uh, built up or taught an
1: important lesson. And uh, to be honest, I, I I hope to be able to do the same for, for my kids, you know. It, what's beautiful about that is that, Helen, there were eight of these kids. and Seven. You were seven, seven. seven.
5: Mm-hmm. I just plus gave the, you plus, another one. Plus yeah. the Holy yeah. Spirit.
1: Seven, yeah. okay, seven children, I gonna, what mm-hmm. did I get eight? Seven's
5: a perfect number.
1: But seven is, a, is still, that's a handful. It is. And yet all seven grew up believing that you had time for them and that you mm-hmm. never short shorted the time to give them the love and the encouragement that they needed. What, what a great well, it was!
5: It, it was a full-time work. Like, sure. I, I, I look at my life and I think if you take from the time I had our first, which was Rebecca, to the time our youngest graduated, that's 32 years uh. of active, full-time mothering. And then you add in there, we homeschooled as well for a majority of that time or a lot of that time. Um, yeah, it... it it's not for the faint-hearted.
8: And you add in Joel. Yeah. Like a that, that
6: <laughs> that's where, you, totally that's where you're getting
8: the,
1: the eighth kid from. Is, is, I was sort of so much to handle. I was two kids at the same that's time. That's where, you know what? That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, this is the book right here. It's called Behind the Lights by Helen Smallbone. It is available right now. And I hope you'll find her inspiring book. I've read this and it is just an encouragement. And also the great music of Four King and Country. If you want to know all about that, we have it for you with links at Huckabee.tv. All the links, King and Country, they're going to be performing right after the break. About that song we've talked about, Don't You Dare Go Away. We'll be right back. Show, go to Huckabee.tv to see a digital exclusive performance of the multi-award-winning song For God Is With Us. Right now, performing Unsung Hero from the smash hit album, what are we waiting for? Please welcome For King and Country.
6: Thank you, Governor. Do we have any uh, mums in the audience tonight? Let me hear from you. There you are. And if you're watching on screen and you're a mum, we dedicate this song to each of you.
7: Once upon a time, you were 25. Walking up the aisle, you made the promise of your life twice and you were 29 singing lullabies and I looked up at you for the first time words for sure that I am sure they'll scared When I was in trouble You never left me there And you love like your mother Like there's nothing to lose You're an unsung hero And I sing this song for you Woke up, I was 21 And I fell in love Remember how I told you that I'd searched the world And I found the girl And oh, how she reminds me of you You're, You're strong like your father Even when you were scared When I was in trouble You never left me there You love like your mother, like there's nothing to lose. You're a love song hero, and I sing this song for you. For all the times I fell down, you showed me. And And when when we we cross the ocean, you are my safe place to live. Been on a thousand stages, but when it's all said and done, I hope I make you proud of, of the man that I've become. To be
6: strong like my father, even when I'm scared. And when someone's in trouble. I'll never leave
7: them there and I love like my mother like there's nothing to lose You're our own song heroes and we we'll sing, sing this song for you
6: For all the sleepless nights all the sacrifice, all your prayers, the ways that you showed that you cared. We hope we carried on generation after
7: generation after generation. Just the way that you saw us. the way that you taught us